Today's episode of the Book of Basketball 2.0 on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by a couple charity organizations that we love. World Central Kitchen. Right now we're facing an unprecedented emergency unlike anything this country has experienced beyond the health impacts of the COVID-19 coronavirus. Our economy is ground to a halt. The reality is stark, but simple. Millions of Americans are out of work and struggling to put food on the table for their families, but that doesn't mean this moment is not without hope. World Central Kitchen has seen what's possible. They've fought on the front lines of Japan and California deploying systems to deliver meals to quarantine cruise ship passengers. Their relief team is now serving nearly 100,000 meals every day across the country. They need you. Together, hashtag Chefs for America can make sure nobody is left behind. They're doing something really great here in Los Angeles, which I have donated $100,000 to. They're feeding the front line fighting COVID-19 in Los Angeles. You could do that too. Right now, um, they almost 450 employees, hospital workers and ICU and ER units and six hospitals in the Los Angeles area. They're taking care of all those people with lunch and dinner for as long as they have the funds to do it. And even better, that money is going to restaurants here in Los Angeles. So please go check that out. You can find all of it on the WCK.org website. And since we're there, if you're, if you're thinking about feeding people, don't forget to go to feedingamerica.org as well. You can find over 200 food banks tied to different cities and towns across America. I donated to the Greater Boston Food Bank a couple of weeks ago. Um, go check it out. Go help some people. Do what you can. These are important times. If you have the means, do what you can for the people out there. Okay. Coming up, me, Chris Ryan, and Joe House. We're going to party like it's 1999. Literally, we're redrafting the 1999 draft, which pretty much went chalk for the most part, but had a staggering amount of good players. It's all coming up. This is the Book of Basketball podcast. We had two choices with Chris Ryan and Joe House. We were thinking to do the 1999 NBA redraft or a redraft of all the punk bands in DC in the late 80s. <laughs> we can do that later, I guess. Yeah. We, Maybe that'll be the next one. We've done it before. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you guys are here after I did the podcast with Pearl Jam that uh, went up the night before we are taping this. And Eddie Vedder mentioned Fugazi multiple times, which I know... I. I figured both of you might have retired at that point versus just continuing to do anything. I don't it, like the arm, the hair on my arms stood up when I when that podcast hit the waves anyway. But to hear Eddie Vedder talking about how Fugazi, seeing Fugazi in a small room changed his life is just it's podcast gold. He um has been pretty vocal over the years about his affection for and admiration of the Fugazi and the innovation that they came up with in terms of the pricing structure, $5, all ages, all the time. They control 
that uh, live show transaction. And to Pearl Jam's credit, you know, they really tried to innovate with that same kind of thing on a, on a much bigger scale. I mean, it goes deep, that relationship between the Fugazi and my boy, Eddie Vedder. House, if you were going to recommend a Fugazi record for people to start with, what's it going to be? Damn. See, I, I don't, I, I probably, um, the very first one, what is it? Six songs, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to tell people, uh, end hits, which is a later record, but is one of my favorites. Yeah. Why don't, I, why don't you dicks make a playlist together of your favorite <laughs> Fugazi songs and put it on Spotify, the owner of the ringer. Okay. We, we could do it. We're doing a 1999 redraft. This was one of the few chalk drafts of this era where you look back and you're like, wow, for the most part, people seem to do relatively the right things. There's also a lot of talent and then a lot of one and done tragedies. Yeah. That was another another thing that jumped for me. Chris Ryan, what was the first thing that jumped to your mind when you look at this draft? Same thing. Lost causes and wasted potential and what ifs. You know, wow. uh, a lot of guys in here that you're just like, I wonder if things have broken a little bit differently in their lives, on the court, off the court, if things had been, you know, if, if things had lined up differently, uh, whether or not they would have had a much better career. Pass. So that sounds like a glass half empty. Um, should I be worried about Chris Ryan? Does the Rona got you down, Chris Ryan? <laughs> no, man. I'm just, I think I just was like a very big Steve Francis Maryland guy. Well, you you know who was a very big Steve Francis Maryland guy? This guy right here. I mean, holy cow, right in my backyard and and beloved because of the story. But um, my overall sense of that 99 draft in a glass half full kind of way, what a deep draft. I mean, a lot of really good players. Maybe not like only one first ballot Hall of Famer maybe in Manu. Like you don't think Sean Marion's going to be like, number one in top of the class first ballot, but very deep. And um, incredibly to me, I, my favorite thing about it is the draft picks of two foreign players in advance of both uh, uh, Andre Karolinko and Manu, both of which were complete bums. So I, I that was one, one aspect <laughs> of this that I enjoyed. So the draft goes Elton Brand, Steve Francis, Baron Davis, Lamar Odom. As a top four, which in retrospect, all of those four guys had really good careers. John Bender, five, right at the tail end of the whole, oh, maybe we shouldn't take high school guys that high, but this is coming off KG and Kobe. Nowitzki wasn't a high school guy, but he was a young guy that with potential and people are feeling good about him. Uh, Serbiak, six, and Rip Hamilton, seven, Andre Miller, eight. And the Hamilton, Andre Miller thing was a March Madness, oh, we saw those guys. Those guys were great. It felt like there was real value. Uh, Sean Marion, nine. Jason Terry, 10. And then it just gets weird. Um, the What was Trajan Langdon's nickname? The Alaskan Assassin? Yeah. He goes 11. Alexander Radojevich. <laughs> Barton went to Community. Martin County Community College. Two years, 15 games total. Went 12 to Toronto. Congrats to them. Rado, take and a then, shit. Uh, <laughs> Corey McGetty and William Avery, two back-to-back one-and-done guys, 13-14. Fred Weiss, 15, never plays a game for the Knicks, but gets dunked on. One of the all-time ju- vaulted over by Vince posters. Carter. Yeah, yeah. And then fucking 
Ron Artest goes 16th. Cal Boulder from Old Dominion goes 17. He only played 142 games and then so on. But uh, one of the weirder stretches of any draft. But um, hey, House, this was when the one and done thing felt like it started to go off the rails because all those Duke guys, none of them seemed like they were ready except for maybe Maggetti. And uh, are you ready for Maggetti? Legendary. Can you, are you allowed to talk about it? No. Okay. Uh, it turned out the NBA was ready for McGetty, but not, he, he really wasn't ready for the NBA. Um, I liked William Avery in college. I just wish he had stayed for two more years, but there, there, there were some one and done tragedies here. Sure. And I, I, um, again, we were still seeing some of that bias that we, we talked about in connection with the 1997 draft where if you see guys on a team that made it pretty far in the NCAA tournament, that recency bias and, you know, the overall bias towards, you know, these guys have been in in the trenches and done stuff. And that's how all those Duke guys got drafted. I mean, it was really uh, an emphatic blessing of Coach K more than anything. So then Chicago gets the first pick. We're coming off the lockout season and 50 games and it's over and, three months. So Chicago has this terrible post Jordan season and then ends up winning the lottery. And everybody's like, well, fuck that. That's people are bad. It's like, really? <laughs> they, they basically have half a season and they end up without brand who we all thought was going to be really good. And Vancouver is second. And Steve Francis or Baron Davis, it was seemed like it was really one or the other. And Steve Francis is sending out smoke signals. I don't want to go to Canada. I would rather not go to Vancouver. I'm really hoping this doesn't play out this way. And then it actually happens. And I had it. I did a story for page two, I think in 04, I did my top 50 draft moments from my first eight NBA draft diaries. And this was number one. This is what I wrote. Vancouver selects Steve Francis second. A this is a disappointed Francis puts on a Grizzlies hat, shakes hands with Stern, tries to pretend he's happy. But when he and his grandmother head on stage for an interview with Sager, Francis becomes steadily more distraught. When Sager asks him, how does it feel? Francis rolls his eyes, holds back tears, leans back in his seat, stares up at the roof in dismay and looks like he might start screaming. Sager quickly throws it back to Ernie. This was insane. In the moment, we knew something horrible was going wrong. You guys vividly remember this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you have to remember that Steve Francis had such a tumultuous childhood that this is not like the way it is now, like where it would be like, oh, yeah, you're going to go. And it's like New Orleans, it doesn't matter. Or uh, Indiana, it doesn't, Milwaukee, Minnesota, who it was a real culture shock. And it was at a time when I think Francis was already going through a lot like that guy if you read about his life it was pretty rough man yeah House, what do you remember he was a maryland guy yeah how about this i was at the draft i was there in 1999 it was at the mci center which is now the capital one center and in between has been uh you know named for five other banks but uh it was my very first live nba draft and the house was uh, uh, you know, a, a, a buzz with where is Francis going to go? And there was a sentiment in, in the building that he should go number one overall. 
because he was an incandescent star uh, for Maryland in his one year there. And, you know, very uh, sympathetic story, local kid. And when he went number two, if you rewatch it, the place goes nuts. And he gets up on stage, and the first thing he does is put up his hands like, you know, my people, my people, right? Yeah. But he was, uh, as as Chris mentioned, you know, uh, you know, had complicated stuff going on. And, you know, there was some homeless uh, episodes in there. And, Bill, you said he sent out smoke signals. I don't, I mean, he sent out nuclear bong size <laughs> hits on, you know, I am, I, I, don't want to go to Vancouver. And at that point in time, and maybe, well, this is probably part of, of why the experiment lasted um, so briefly. Nobody wanted to go to Vancouver. Uh, you know, Mike Bibby didn't have good things to say about it. Sharif Abdul-Rahim didn't love it. Um, and he just, you know, Francis and his people were telling Stu Jackson, don't do it, Stu. Don't do it. Don't do it. And Stu did it. So another red flag with Steve Francis was he had 300 people at this draft. They say during the draft telecast, he had tickets for 300 people. And I made a joke in the draft diary. I don't even think I knew 300 people when I was 22. Like, honestly, I don't, I think if you had people in my life, it does. Could you get to 300 now? I'm 50. I don't know if I could get to 300 people. So that seemed like a red flag. And that leads us to the real legacy of this draft, the fucking comedy. There, there's comedy galore. The Steve Francis getting drafted and really melting down as he's being interviewed was great. But there's a couple other phenomenal things. One of them, you know, Lamar Odom, another guy who had had a lot of problems at the time. And there were a lot of red flags. And unfortunately, the Clippers were the, had the fourth pick. And it just seemed like a slow motion train head on train collision with two trains heading to each other that you're like, this will be bad. We, we at Lamar is actually somebody who has a chance to be special. Please don't, don't have him go to the Clippers. And, and in my draft hour, I said, my dad was saying before it happened, quote, the Clippers can't take Lamar Odom. The league shouldn't allow it. Stern should rip up the card if they take him and announce Wally Serbiak's name. I actually think that would have been a better idea. They might, Stern might have, might have blown that. But man, if you think of the teams that Lamar could have gone to, um, all right. So even if he goes to Charlotte at three, Toronto at five, he's playing with Vince Carter. It's just a bummer. And now he goes to the clips and, and it sets off like this early part of his career that I think sidetracked him. Do you remember being worried about Lamar going to the Clippers at the time? I, only vaguely at the time. Like I remember him somewhat at Rhode Island and, and I remember, the, I, I, you know, obviously the Clippers just seemed to be sort of cursed even at this period but I didn't remember it being like this really toxic situation that we wound up knowing it would be. What about you, House? Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I don't recall having that, that uh, you know, the red lights going off and, and you know, warning, warning. Uh, it was just really the um, failed institution that, that, that was the L.A. Clippers. And it, this is probably not going to end well kind of vibe. I think that that was my sentiment maybe at the time. 
Bill, do you think that his career and like, what do you think happens if he winds up on the Wolves with Garnett? Lamar Odom? Yeah. Well, you think the next two teams that could have had him, Toronto's picking five. They end up trading the pick to Indiana for uh, Antonio Davis. Minnesota six. They end up taking Serbiak. Toronto would have been an amazing Lamar Odom team because they already had T-Mac and T-Mac that 99, 2000 year was when T-Mac, remember how we were thinking he was going to be the Pippin of Vince's Jordan. Yeah. And then you throw Lamar in there as this kind of basically point forward for those two guys. And that would have immediately been the most fun team of that season out of all like the, uh, the up and coming teams. So that was a bummer. I think Charlotte would have been good for him too. I think it, 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 it the worst case scenario was him going to the Clippers. So that was one thing. Um, the John Bender pick, it felt, it felt dubious at the time. It was like, you know, it was that classic, like he's a tall, skinny forward. What position is he? Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of to, unanswered questions. To put it in like modern terms, this was like, you know, a very Florida state kind of guy. Like it was like Bender, uh, was like kind of like the proto Mobamba or Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, then you had, you know, the three, the two college guys that we all knew were going to be good. Rip Hamilton, and Andre Miller. There's some out. They slid to the tail end. And then the Artest thing was the other incredible, like in the draft, really funny. They interview, he gets taken 16th. And when he gets picked, um, he's there. He goes and shakes Stern. He has an interview with Craig Sager. And you can watch this. It's on YouTube. He's so fired up he got drafted. He's he he's not aware he's being interviewed. And Sager goes, the only other person from Queens Ridge is the rapper Nas. What would he say about this? And Artest, he's just crying and he's pointing to the crowd. And then Sager leans in and hits him on the knee. And Artest is like, oh, what'd you say? Like... <laughs> It's like he didn't realize he was on camera. Yeah. It was an unbelievable start to the Rod Artest era. So that was that happened. That was great. Well, who, who was um, the GM of the Knicks at that time? Uh, that would have been Checkets. How did they pass up on Ron Artest? What possible well, thinking was there? Because Fred Weiss was there. <laughs> I mean, he was there. That's literally true. He, Fred Rice was a human being alive on planet Earth in 1999 when the NBA draft was being conducted in Washington, D.C. That's all true. What well, the possible team, explanation could there be for skipping over Ron Artest? The crowd, the Knicks, Knicks fans wanted Artest. Of course they did. A St. John's he, kid. And that was a 99 Knicks team that was coming off being in the finals. So he would have been playing... First of all, we could add Artest and Sprewell on the same team. Unreal. That almost happened with Marcus Canby and Allen Houston, all those guys. Um, so that was good. We Some other highlights from this draft from a comedy standpoint. I mean, I don't know how you can top the Knicks taking Fred Weiss over run Artest, but um, Rick Patino, that fucking motherfucking asshole, <laughs> that piece of shit, he... <laughs> During this lockout season, when we had no chance to make the playoffs anyway, this dumb motherfucker <laughs> traded our unprotected lottery pick for Vitaly Potapico. Gave it right to Cleveland. He's like, here, 
Take our unprotected lottery pick. Well, get, guess what? Guess what? Get You can guess what happened. It ended up being the eighth pick in the draft. It ended up being Andre Miller. Sean Marion was the next pick. We could add either of those guys. So that was fucking awesome. So uh, once again, this is your redraft reminder. Rick Pitino. <laughs> How are you fuck getting you. so fucking mad at Pitino because you didn't have the professor? You didn't have Andre Miller? That's like the, your well, big... I, I'm pretty sure I would have enjoyed Sean Marion. I think I would have enjoyed having him on my team. Uh, yeah, you could have had uh, Chauncey Billups and Sean Marion at that point. That's what the team should have been. It's tough. Uh, some comedy from that draft. Jeff Foster got taken by Golden State at number 20. And Rick Majerus, who was a comedy tour to Forrester in this draft, he said he's gonna he's not going to come in right away and impact the Warriors in any way, shape, or form. That was his scouting report on Jeff Foster. Dead right. He, he was right on on that. Um, I wrote how John Thompson just said he should have stayed in school over and over again. Uh, as each guy got drafted and that the same could have been said for John Thompson because he was terrible at this thing. Fred Weiss, when he got picked, it was so startling that they swung it to Pete Vesey who didn't know he was going to be on camera. <laughs> and according to my notes, Vesey made up a Steve Smith for Isaiah Ryder trade rumor right on the spot. But I think that trade act... That trade actually happened, right? Didn't they trade Isaiah, Steve Smith for Isaiah Ryan? So you, do trade. you think it was like the secret? Like he put it into the world and it came true? <laughs> Maybe he willed it to happen. There was a Corey Maggette green room Wade, a mini one, not a Richard Lewis level one. Um, but Seattle ended up taking him 13th. And Ernie Johnson said Maggette had unlimited potential. And John Thompson added very unlimited so he had unlimited plus very, one. So that when you had unlimited, I didn't know there could be more than unlimited, but very unlimited is actually the next round. Uh, in the second round of this draft, first of all, Jumaine, Jumaine Jones became the Richard Lewis award winner. We shouldn't have invited him to the green room guy. He, he ends up going in the second round and they kept cutting it to him. And it was sad. Vontigo Cummings. Remember him was the 26 pick. He, he went to Pitt, right? And Ernie said, unironically, that he got his first name after a neighbor combined the names of two cars, the Volkswagen and the Montego. And then it just kind of hung in the air for a second. And everybody moved on. But that's how Montego Cummings got his name. And then uh, in the second round, Ernie Johnson said, Todd McCullough, number 47, in this draft who ended up turning into something that he enjoyed bungee jumping, parachuting, parasailing and cliff diving and had a dog named chainsaw who once got his tongue stuck to a frozen pole. And Majerus asked, is there a developing a hookshot story in there? <laughs> Rick Majerus was, Rick Majerus was a comedic genius. By the way, uh, all, all of those activities you just mentioned, he's a giant man. He's I know he's a yeah. small guy to be undertaking all of that. Yeah. Well, he became a, a world-class pinball player after. Our friend Zach Cram from The Ringer came up with some Zacks for the 99 draft. Nine players from this draft made an all-star team, tied for the third most in the latter era. That makes sense. The average player from this draft tallied 28.5 win shares, third most of any era behind 96 and 03. Manu selected 57th. 
most regular season win shares of anyone ever picked in the 50s in the entire 31 to 60 range. He's second behind Jeff Hornacek for win shares. And the top undrafted player from 1999 was Raja Bell, a guy near and dear to Chris's heart. One of your early guys, Chris. That's right. All right, so we got to talk about the Manu thing really quick. Manu goes 57. He's the second to last pick in the draft. The Spurs just swoop in. Here are the guys before him from 48 to 56. Galen Young, Larry Kettner, Vincent Hamilton, Antoine Smith, Roberto Bergerson, Rodney Buford, Melvin Levitt, Chris Clack, and Stanford's Tim Young, who somehow played one season. These all sound like characters in a Michael Mann movie. <laughs> The Spurs basically augment the Tim Duncan era because people fall asleep on the Manu thing. They barely get him. And then Tony Parker the next year, the Celtics could have taken, or two years later, Celtics take Joe Forte over him. Need a lot of luck with this draft, fellas. I have a question about Manu. So, yeah. Obviously, one of the mo more enjoyable players of my lifetime has, and it is just an absolute magician on the court. I want to talk about what Manu could have been on any other team in any other situation. Because to oh. me, you know, I think that Manu had permission on the Spurs to kind of go in and out here. I mean, like, I do remember there were times when people thought Manu was cooked or Manu wasn't contributing a ton or Manu was this or Manu was that. And when you're looking at this redraft and you're trying to decide whether or not Manu, who obviously maximized his potential versus some guys who obviously didn't do enough with the potential they had. What do you think Manu Ginobili is on the Pacers? I actually think his career is very similar to... I think he travels... Really? Team to team. Okay. I do. He, he also he, literally He was pretty travels. accomplished overseas, yeah. He literally I mean, travels. He, literally, he invented the, 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 the Eurostep travel. I'm with you, though. I think it would have been fun to see what he would have done on a team where he could have been, you know, the real lead option or the lead offensive option or the offensive running through him. But I always thought the fact that they weren't playing him huge minutes made me made me think or wonder if they felt like he just couldn't have done 38 minutes a game. You know, like there's a reason they were so careful about not playing him too much. And I don't really know what that is. House, I'm going to list all the Maryland guys drafted in this draft. Okay. Steve Francis, two. We're not done. Obina Akezi. I remember Big Benny. He was the 37th pick to Vancouver right after Leron Prophet, 38th. Another, another beloved guy. I still have so yeah. much Leron Profit stock. It's just I'm never <laughs> gonna get off of it. What what he ended up playing four years in the league, 135 games. Um, some other randos in this draft. Kenny Thomas, who ended up getting overpaid a couple times by either Philly or Sacramento, or he ends up on Philly, or at some point somebody gave him a bad contract. So that happened. James Posey is in this draft who, you know, ended up being a key member of the 08 Celtics. Andre Karolenko, 24th. That was fun. Uh, we haven't said the words Rip Hamilton yet. Well, yeah, we talked, we mentioned him briefly at the top. Michael Ruffin, Calvin Booth to House's Wizards. Yeah. 
He was a solid there, role player for five and a half minutes. Chris, did you ever buy any uh, Gordon Gerasek stock or no? <laughs> I think I was all... Um, I had my financial advisor go all in on Evan Eschmeyer funds. So I didn't have a lot of uh, a liquidity to play around with Gerasek. <laughs> Evan Eschmeyer. That was right when people really started to realize, don't take these goofy white centers. That this is not... Not a good way to spend a top 15 pick. Well, I mean, notwithstanding what the Knicks did. Okay. Right. So nine all-stars, seven guys with 75 plus win shares, 14 players with over 20,000 career minutes. And then I think the other legacy that's draft, just a unique collection of guys where you have, you know, Baron Davis, who was a really unique point guard, this really physical, athletic, like, Steve Nash told me at the end of the 2000s, the single hardest person for him to play was Baron Davis. He had a nice run. He made a lot of money, um, Was had a couple playoff teams, had a really fun run in Golden State. You have Rip Hamilton, who is basically just running a track meet every game and, and flying around. And there was really nobody like him other than he was in that Ray Allen kind of phylum, but not a lot of dudes who played like that. Karolenko? Another guy, like this 6'9 defensive demon um, and who I thought was really valuable there in the mid-2000s. Mentioned the Matrix, Sean Marion. Uh, run our test. Definitely unique. Andre Miller, the professor, the old school 1950s point guard game. And then uh, Ginobili. So those are eight guys that were really in a weird way, kind of like not either one-on-ones or almost one-on-ones, right? Yeah, I agree with all of this. Like, you know, the the combo guard nature of uh, Baron Davis, that physical play that that he he brought felt, you know, I, I don't know who you would compare him to, you know, from, from Nobody. Like previous era. And, you know, Ginobili is definitely a one-of-one, and that's going to feel like, it feels like it's going to stay that way. Like, he, he'll always be kind of a one-of-one. I don't know if he's a unicorn, but, you know, and, and then the combo players, like the potential of Odom as a combo guy, like, you know, he, he could, he, he's another five-tool guy. Odom is a sophisticated Tim Thomas, both of whom ended up with frustrating careers, but both of them could play five positions. So, yeah, I, I agree with this. So on my five-star rating for a draft, we didn't have a super-duper star. We didn't have an all-timer. We didn't have a franchise guy. Um, but we had multiple all-stars and multiple quality stars, too. By my count, five all-stars, six if you wanted to give Baron Davis, and then uh, six one-star guys, plus Jason Terry and Corey Maggette. Like the, the first 13 in this draft are, uh, are really good. And I think it's time to redraft them. My my Simmons crapshoot rating for this, the scrap rating, is only 2.5. Because it mostly goes by the book, except for right. Ginobili. Uh, for the top pick, we're doing rock, paper, scissors. We can all see each other, right? Yeah. Ready? One, yeah. One, two. two, three, go. I can't see your hand. Oh, He's I, got rock. Simmons. So Simmons goes so first. So I got the first pick. All yeah. right, now you guys go second. Ready, you House? Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> oh. One, two, three. Okay, right, I got second. Right. Chris Ryan second. All right, I'm first. My pick's gonna surprise you. So on the 
the first pick of the draft, which would have been the Chicago Bulls. I'm taking Sean Marion. It's not, it's not a surprise. I agree okay. with you. Okay. Future Hall of Famer. I hope he gets there before Antoine Jameson. Um, I was really excited for him in the draft. We didn't have a lot of experience with that UNLV team on TV, but this was right. This 99 is the first year where we start. The internet's rounding into shape a little bit better. And there's just a lot more NBA draft content. And Marion was one of the guys who became the big winner of this draft where it's like, you know, who's going to be really good is this Sean Marion guy from UNLV. He's, you know, incredibly athletic. And I, I remember just being so sad that the Celtics had fucking traded their pick because Rick Pitino's a dipshit. He ends up playing 14. Jesus. He plays through 2015. So 16 seasons. He is on some critically acclaimed Phoenix Suns teams and is an all NBA top 10 guy there for at least a couple of years. Goes to Miami. Seems like his career starting to peter out, ends up in Toronto, and then has this resurgence in Dallas and House really laid it on LeBron in the 2011 finals. And that that's the exclamation point. The OG, you know, the the pride, the defensive pride, a real throwback kind of, uh, uh, you know, example, I would say. And he was crucial to that to that 2011 team at, at that late, late stage of his career. So his. Uh, if you go his 2005 through seven Suns run. Where he's basically. Let's see. He is, for three straight years, 20 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, two steals, 1.6 blocks, 50% shooting. He was putting up threes just because that team shot threes, but 33%. But the he's one of those guys that I really think would have been a huge winner if he shows up right. If 2005 Sean Marion shows up right now in 2020, you you could potentially play him as a five which Phoenix kind of had to do because they didn't have a choice in 06 when Amari went down. Um, but you could go super small ball with him as like your Draymond, basically. And I think he could have pulled it off. But at the very least, he just would have been with the faster pace and more possessions and the speed of the game that we play now and things like that. I, I'm sure his three-point shot probably would have improved. But um, do you agree that he was born a little too soon, Chris? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's shades of Pippin in his game, but I think that, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a matter of when he came into the league. House, give me one sentence on how you remember Sean Marion. Crazy motor, highly versatile, super energizer, athletic contributor. Only four all-star games for him and only three, only two third-team All-NBAs. But there was a year where I I thought he was one of the best 10 players in the league for that two-year stretch with the Suns. Okay, who's second? It's me. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with Manu for the Grizzlies here. And I also think this creates a very interesting what-if for this franchise. Because you wonder if Manu comes in, maybe coming from Argentina, doesn't have any aversion to playing in Vancouver, 
goes in there. And if he's able to revitalize this organization at, at all, you kind of ha have to wonder what the future trajectory of it is. Well, one thing with Manu, he doesn't come to the NBA for a couple of years, right? No, that's right. Show up that's true. One, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's no way he would have gone second. It's impossible. The only way, I think the reason he fell to 57 was because he wasn't coming over for a couple of years. Um, but if you were able to, like, if they were able to stash him and then tank for one more year or whatever, yeah, he comes in, he comes in the 0203 season. So he doesn't come for basically, he, he misses the first three seasons where he could have been in the NBA. That was a really smart pick. Um, House, who do you have at three? Elton Brand, who, uh, no matter how you slice it or dice it, this in this end in this 1999 draft top five, no doubt about it. Him going to Charlotte at the time as a you know North Carolina guy, like the the boost there, over 20 points, um, six seasons. You know he is a pretty solid. Uh, reliable 20 and 10 guy for, for a nice stretch there. Nobody would say, oh, that third pick, uh, you know, you lost value there. He was a, a, a super solid NBA performer. I don't know. How many all-star teams? Two? <clears throat> he didn't um, make a ton of all-star teams, but he's still, you know, he's in the mix. So the 06 season, and I had the Clippers season tickets that year when the Clippers really came within a defensive fuck up of they should have made the Western Conference Finals. And I think they would have had a chance to beat uh, to beat Dallas. I really do. I think they match up well with them. I went to a bunch of those games that year. He was 25 a game, 25 and 10 that season, 53% shooting. He played... 3,000 regular season minutes. The thing with Elton Brand was he, he would crank out the minutes. He had, he had uh, his first eight years of his career, he was over 3,000 minutes four times and 2,900 plus minutes two other times. And he just got hurt, you know? And, and when I remember, I think he made second team All-NBA. I'm looking this up now. Um, yeah, he was second team All-NBA in 2006. I actually think you could have made a case. He could have been first team All-NBA that year. Dirk was one of the ones. And then I think Duncan got the other spot. Um, but if you looked at everybody's stats that year, I actually think I think there was a case for him. Uh, wait a second. No, it was... Oh, LeBron got the, the first team. So Elton didn't get it. LeBron got it over Elton. I thought that was debatable at the time. And goes to Philly... Backstabs Baron Davis. Baron Davis signs with the Clippers. And That's right. I remember that. Thinks Elton Brand's going to stay. And then Elton Brand basically double crosses him, goes to Philly, and ends up ruining Chris's Sixers because he got hurt for years. And, yeah. And then a couple years later, comes back. That's the GM job, ruins you again. <laughs> it's a double ruiner of Chris Ryan. He must have complicated Elton Brand thoughts. Not very fond of him. Uh, he seems like a very nice man, but not very fond of what he's meant to the Sixers. Even now. I like even now. <laughs> I think he was somebody that was we said Sean Marion was probably too soon. He was in the perfect era, Elton Brand. I think if you put him in 2020 with the kind of game that he had, I don't you couldn't have played him as a four. He probably would have been the five. And 
I, I can't imagine him learning to like shoot threes and do stuff like that. But I think he was weirdly underrated. All right. So I am up. That pick was for who? That third pick. That pick was for Charlotte, right? Yeah. Yes. And so this fourth, this fourth pick, ironically, is for the Clippers, who took Lamar Odom in the moment. I'm going to take Rip Hamilton here. Really, 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 really above average, competent, quality two guard who was good in big games, who delivered a title, who was not afraid to go against the Kobe Bryants and the Ray Allens and the Vince Carters. I just really enjoyed his game. And I we did a rewatchables, I think, of the 04 Lakers Pistons. And was watching like some of the plays they ran and just thinking like he would have been so much better off in the current era, especially with like his ability to, if you set him a pick, both him and Billups had the ability to just use that pick and do all kinds of things with it. And back then it was so much more ISO, ISO, ISO. I think he just would have thrived in this era. How did you had him on the whiz? Yeah. What happened? Well, they are, this was, he coincided with the MJ era. And so they were in a kind of a suspended animation uh, moment there because they, you know, the team, the franchise was necessarily deferential to MJ. They packed the building every year for two years, but it wasn't really a great developmental situation. So, who, you know, we had no idea what Rip could become when he was here in Washington. Well, he was 20 points a game his last Wizards year. And I remember they traded him because MJ thought Stackhouse was a better kind of slow it down they could fit together better than Rip. Rip wanted to run. He was a young guy. And they flipped Stackhouse, who was coming off a pretty big Piston season. But I'm going to say you wouldn't do that trade over again, maybe. <laughs> there are a lot of Washington trades I wouldn't do over again. Rip Hamilton, from 2001 all the way to 2010, is basically between 18 and 21 points a game, year after year after year. His three-point shooting... Really got better in the mid-2000s, but he just never took them. Like, he shot 46% one year from three, but uh, but never took them. So anyway, nice stable pick for the Clippers. I'm sure they would have traded him after two years. All right, Chris, you're number five. You're picking for the Pacers. Who do you have? Yeah, I, it's it's hard. It's basically a crap, uh, like a coin toss for me between Barron and Odom here. So I'm going to go with Baron Davis for the Pacers. So there's two scenarios here. Toronto initially has the pick. So let's say, do it over again. Toronto doesn't make the trade. They're just keeping the pick at five. And they already have Vince Carter and they have T-Mac. Who would you take under that? And they have Marcus Camby. Oh, no, they had traded him for Oakley. Uh, They have Oakley, T-Mac, and Vince at this point. You're picking fifth for Toronto. You're going to turn down the Antonio Davis trade. Who would you take? (sighs) Man. You going Barron or are you going... I the problem with uh, I think I'm going to go with Baron even even either way because I feel like Lamar really is helpful with the ball in his hands and with T Mac and Vince it's like give them a point guard rather than another forward who wants the ball. House, what would you do? Uh, I would go with Baron. I would stick with Baron. I like it. Would you have any concerns of Lamar Odom in Toronto at age 19? This is you could say any city. Uh, in the north of uh, uh, in the in the western hemisphere, yeah, I would have had those Utah, concerns. 
Utah? Would you have concerns in Utah? <laughs> Actually, that might have been a really good situation because Jerry Sloan, you know, the the tough love from Jerry Sloan, maybe it would have worked. So think about quick thing on the Pacers that year. So they end up making the finals after this draft. They have a salary crunch with Antonio Davis and Dale Davis and some Rick Smiths. They have Reggie Miller. They have Jalen. They have to pay him. They have Travis Best. So they decide we're going to trade a veteran. Toronto really wants to have a veteran that they can put, you know, with with Vince and with T Mac. Now they have Oakley, Antonio Davis. They're trying to become a instant playoff team. So they're they're like, here, take the fifth pick. Uh, Indiana is like cool. This guy John Bender has a chance to be special. G- what's just Rip, Rip Hamilton makes no sense for them. Andre Miller, uh, you know, I, but imagine if they had taken Sean Marion and he's just on that 2000 Pacers team yeah, and yeah. playing like the Crochet minutes. Yikes. Tough one. Tough one. Number, number six, Minnesota. They still have KG and I think they still have Marbury at this point. Did they trade Marbury yet? No, he they, was gone. They had traded Marbury. Marbury. Yeah. Yeah. Marbury Said was Terrell gone. Brandon at this point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Bobby Jackson from- and Sam. Yeah. Who do you have for six, House? I'm taking Steve Francis. I think that um, for what he brought to the table, a really exciting compliment to uh, Kevin Garnett. I mean, I really think they could have done a hell of an inside-outside game, and I very much like the idea of the impact that Garnett and his work ethic and his commitment to professionalism might have had on uh, my boy Stevie Francis. House? That was a terrible pick. <laughs> the, the TNT telecast is killing you right now. You're Why? putting Steve Francis in Minnesota? He didn't <laughs> want to go to Vancouver. Why would he want to be in Minnesota? It's in America. He doesn't have to worry about the taxes. Uh, he thought it was God's will that when the trade happened in August, um, I think, you know, he, Minnesota likes God. He would have been fine with with all of the God-fearing citizens of Minnesota. Chris, what do you think of the Terrell Brandon, Steve Francis backcourt? Not a lot of stops. No, no. I think it was a a lot of Matador defense. uh, And yeah, I don't know if Steve Francis would have been right for the the Timberwolves chemistry. All right. So we have Sean Marion 1, Maynard Ginobili 2, Elton Brand 3, Rip Hamilton 4, Baron Davis 5, Steve Francis 6. I can't believe this guy is still on the board. I can't believe he's still alive. Lamar Odom. He's going to houses Washington oh Wizards oh. at number seven. What oh, could go no. wrong? <laughs> oh, you could you could introduce him to uh the professionalism of Mitch Richmond, who you just traded a future first team all NBA Chris Weber for. <laughs> that could be good, House. It wouldn't have worked. Let me just be blunt about it. Lamar Odom would not have we would not have been a success in Washington. You don't like the idea of Lamar Odom in Chocolate City? Just would have been a tough one. Not a lot of supervision. The franchise wasn't exactly, you know, a uh, stable, uh, you know, the kind of place where they're looking out for the development of their players. The reason that Chris Weber had to leave is because he got busted one too many times for DUI and they knew about his marijuana habit. So. Other than that, <laughs> Man, Lamar Lamar played 14 years. 
his his second Clippers season, he was 17, 8, and 5 on the 01 Clippers, which was the first league pass team I ever fell in love with. That was the year I got league pass, 01. And, you know, you guys remember what it was like in the East Coast. We only got to watch our own team and whoever was on TNT or, you know, ESPN or whatever other channel. In League Pass, I knew there was this whole other world going on on the West Coast and these games that were on late. You couldn't see any of them. And then it was like, oh, look at this Clippers team. They have Darius Miles. <laughs> they have Lamar Odom. They have Corey McGetty. Um, it was just really fun. It was everything I wanted at that point in my life. It was either 2000 or 2001 when I got DirecTV. I can't remember. But um, but yeah, he was, you know, he goes to Miami in 04 and has a really nice year for them on that, on that first rookie Dwayne Wade team, remember? Where he's 17, 10, and 4 for them. They make the playoffs. Everyone gets excited for Wade. And then that summer, they trade him for Shaq. And... Goes to the Lakers. He's kind of Kobe's caddy there for a little while. And then it all works out. They had three straight finals trips. And then remember, he had that other part when at the world, what was it? The 2010 world championship team. He became like the Yoda of the team. Remember that? He was like mm -hmm. the leader. I don't like remember the veteran, that. <laughs> the veteran Lamar Odom. I don't right. remember that. Chris, you're on the clock at number eight. So in real life, the Cavs took uh, Andre Miller here and wound up going um, 32 and 50 with Randy Whitman uh, at the at the controls. This this roster for this 99 2000 team for the Cavs is something else. Lamont Murray, Sean Kemp, Bob Sura, Brevin Knight, Andrew DeClerc, Danny Ferry, Trajan Langan, Oral Boykins. It's hard to see which pick here does better does more for this franchise than Andre Miller, but I'm going to go with Zerbiak because at least you get some uh, Ohio kid staying at home. I mean, he went to Miami of Ohio. I believe he's from Long Island originally, right? Yeah. he And, you know, Zerbiak was good for a while. Then he yeah. had the bad contract. The Celtics traded for it. He was on the Celtics for a little while. And, uh, and all of a sudden he'd be, you know, I think he landed on the Cavs. He was playing with LeBron. Yeah. I think, I think Jet and Andre Miller are better than Wally Zerbiak, but if you're the Cavs here, maybe you get something out of, out of like the Ohio kid. Yeah. Wally Z was a 20 point a game guy, at least for a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah. Or am, I, am I imagining no, that? you're right. Let's see. Did he ever get to 20 points a game? I'm going to say yes. I, me too. Um, yeah. 20.1. <laughs> he's another one though he was a career 40.6% three point shooter who averaged 2.2 threes a game and now you fast forward him 15 years he's probably eight threes a game yeah minimum of eight threes a game house you're on the clock for Phoenix at number nine who do you have I don't want to be dis disrespectful to the professor but I have an irrational affinity for the player I'm going to take. And I'm not sure if I can explain it. Maybe you guys can help me. I really, really, really like Andre Kirilenko. Not, not, not only do I really, really like him, I love him. Um, you know, relatively 13-year career with some injuries uh, mixed in there. But as a two-way guy, 
as a fierce defender. And, and, and this Phoenix team took Sean Marion. I think Andre Karolenko and Sean Marion are kind of like cut from the same cloth. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Well, remember, House, you and I went to that All-Star game in 04, and Andre Karolenko was playing crunch time. Yeah. And, and they were using to. him to guard, uh, I forget who the best scorer on the, on the other team was, but he was basically the guy who was in charge of shutting that guy down. Who was that? Who would have been the best guy in the East team that year? 04? Was for like Iverson or Vince or maybe, oh, it was T-Mac. Because T-Mac was yeah. on Orlando. Yeah, Orlando. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Karolinko was out there in crunch time as one of the 10 guys. Karolinko. If, if you go back. Karolinko also uh, all-time NBA wife. Yep. <laughs> I forgot Amazing about that. woman. Yeah. She showed up at a Nets game wearing a scream mask once. <laughs> Had the great if, hall pass thing. That's right. He 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 really uh, innovated the hall pass. If you life. if you go through my old trade value columns, he's shockingly high for a few years in a row. There, he was a real asset. There wasn't. It was basically him and Marion as these Swiss Army knife could play any position, could guard anybody, uh, energy, all that stuff. I never really understood what happened the latter half of his career. Because you go, even when you look at uh, that 08 Utah team was really good and ended up, I think they they played, yeah. Oh, the 07 Utah team. That was the team that almost made the finals. They lost to, who made the 07? Oh, San Antonio. So they made it all the way to the conference finals and they lost. And at that point, for that was when he started to go in his weird funk. He was only in that playoffs, he was... 10 points a game, five rebounds a game. Like his, his career kind of went sideways. But for 04, 05, 06, regular season, he was 16 and eight, three blocks a game. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was... 1.7 steals. So yeah, I mean, he was, I, I don't know what happened the second half, but I, I'm with you, House. I like that guy. Uh, who's, who's number 10? It's the Hawks. That would be, oh, the Hawks. Okay. Uh, well, Good value here for Andre Miller. And he had a long career. Goes and plays with uh, Jim Jackson, Dikembe Mutombo, and J.R. Ryder. Oh, they'll all hate each other. <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't have worked for very long. But good good value here. Uh, he played for how many seasons? Jesus. His basketball reference page just takes a while to load. So, you know, it was like 17 <laughs> seasons. Um. Man, now I'm starting to... You know what? I'm changing my pick. It's the first ever redraft of a repick. Okay. I'm, I'm taking Jason Terry here. That's okay. who they did take, right? Yeah. Okay. You know, I think he's been one of the lost, underrated guys of the last 25 years. He fucking went toe-to-toe with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh in that 11 finals and was awesome and made one of the all-time... I'm pulling out my scrotum, fondling it, and dropping it on the court. Threes anyone has made in the last 25 years of the finals in game five and was also a key part of their 06 team. I, he's just the kind of guy that uh, that if he's on your team and if he's, if he's your fourth best guy, that's usually a really good sign. If he's your third best guy, you could get by with it. But if he's one of your top four, he's good. He had a long career too. So good. Uh, uh, I'm is he a good pick. locker room guy too? Yeah. Yeah. 
Great locker room guy. But yeah, he really took it to the heat that year. And he also had a long career and 38% career three-point shooter. So another ahead of your ahead of his time guy. But yeah, he peaked at on Dallas in 09, he averaged 20 points a game almost. Um, he had a couple years, man, three straight years from 05, 06, 07, where he's 42% from three for those three years, 15 points a game. And that he just would have been jacking up more of them. I liked having him on the Celtics in 2013 too. So I'm taking him with the 10th pick. Andre Miller dropping like a stone. The professor does Andre, Andre Miller happening. is sitting in the green room with a tear rolling down his cheek. <laughs> uh, so now we're at 11, which is the Cavs. Yeah. So now you can actually take Andre Miller for the Cavs if you want. I, I, I got to take our tests. I got to mix it oh, up. Oh, you did. Wow. That was my pick. I got to take our tests. Oh I would God. just be curious to see what would happen to our tests. In my dreams, I imagine Ron Artest playing with Bob Sura anyway. <laughs> yeah. But you, I love that, but you just ruined Ron Artest playing with T-Mac and, and Vince Carter. Like, I that know. could have happened. Imagine <laughs> him on that on that Toronto team. That, that Toronto team probably would have won the 2020 championship. <laughs> you know, the irony of the Artest melee out of the many ironies he he really looked like he was going to be one of the best 10 players in the league that year. And even if you look at his stats, he only played seven games, but he was 24.6 points a game and almost a 50-40-90 guy just for those seven games. But you could feel it happening during the 4 playoffs was when he really started to, to blossom. But in in that 4 5 season, him and Jermaine O'Neal were the best guys in that team. and they were the team that we thought at the start of the season was going to probably win the finals, or at least it was, we were headed for a Pacers Spurs series. I thought they were the best team in the league. So yeah, from an upside standpoint, probably a little higher than Andre Miller, right? How many, how many all-star games would you say he played? If you had to guess four, he played a whopping one. Huh. He made the Oh four all-star. I think he was banned from all-star weekend after Oh <laughs> four, might've been the right idea. He made third team all NBA in 2004. So wow. he was the, one of the 15 best guys in the league in 04. And uh, he was all defense in 04 and 06. And I think he would have been first or second, or he probably second team all NBA in uh, 05 if he doesn't charge into the stands and start punching fans and get suspended for the year. So who's up? Am I up now? Uh, no, it's no, House. It's me. And since Ron Artest is no longer available, I'm going to put an end to the to the all this slander against the professor Andre Miller in the 12 hole to the Toronto Raptors. Andre Miller uh, was a quick adapter to the NBA. He was already at nearly 17 points and 11 assists a game by his third season in the league. So, like making the the, the kind of contribution and. You know, there's a reason that we we came to uh, appreciate him, call him the professor. He earned that nickname. And, uh, and you know, as he went along and made contributions in the latter half of his career to situations, short stints in, on, on playoff teams, he made a meaningful difference. He was an impactful player because of his IQ. He was here in Washington for a cup of coffee. I greatly enjoyed some of his old school stuff. 
And I think he had a good positive impact on a couple of our on on John Wall and Brad Beal, just in terms of the professionalism. You yeah, it definitely worked out for those guys. Well, it's a hey, Brad Beal. Thank God for thank God Brad, for Andre. What's the Brad Beal slander? I'm just fucking with you. He didn't make the All Star game. That was a. a, a I'm trying to deflect from Todd McCullough conversations. (laughs) Anyway, there's an incredible Andre Andre Miller Miller time. There's an incredible Andre Miller stat. He, for nine, for first time, nine times he made the playoffs, he lost in round one. The only time he ever made it past round one was with Houses Washington Wizards. In 2014, where he averaged four points a game. Wasn't there but, a really uh, great Nuggets team he was on where they were like awesome in the regular season and then Andre Miller led a mutiny against George Carl in the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, that I think that was the 06 team. Yeah. <laughs> that Was that the same year they had the big fight? In It was the year yeah, that, that was, they traded Carmelo and had Gallinari and everybody and then they were like really... No, he was... I think he was gone by then. He was? Yeah. No, they, there was... There was some, uh, the first part of his career, I'm not sure he was considered like an awesome guy to have on the team. I think that came later. I remember. I think he was kind of like Rondo where he thought he knew better than the coach a lot. So he goes three years with the Cavs, one year with the Clips. So I'm going to talk about in a second. Three and a half years with Denver. Ends up on your Philly team for three years. Portland for two. Back to Denver for three. Two with Washington, one Sacramento, one Minnesota, and one Spurs. So he played with nine teams. I was working for Jimmy Kimmel show during the uh, 2003 NBA season. And I really wanted to do this bit. It was my favorite idea that I came up with for a remote bit that whole time. It was the cars of the LA Clippers. So we had this idea, uh, basically like MTV Cribs for cars. Wanted to see what each, each guy drove. So we got Quentin Richardson to be the uh, the kind of correspondent for it. And he was the host. And he was going to show everyone's car and try to figure out who had the best car. And I think Marco Yarek had like a $200,000 Italian, some crazy fucking car. <laughs> but as we're doing it, he's asking all these different guys, hey, do you want to be in it? And we're grabbing Melvin Eli and Marco Yarek, all these different dudes that Quentin's playing off of. So we go to Andre Miller and we ask him and he's leaving practice. He just looks pissed off. And uh, we're like, hey, do you want to be in this bit? And Andre Miller goes, man, I ain't doing shit for the Clippers. And he just kept walking. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, okay, cool. And it was with Quentin Richardson right there. It wasn't like he was like in the next room. And he just, and Quentin Richardson just kind of was like, "Eh." and we just kind of moved on to the next people. So yeah, I think... uh, there was there was a little bit of cloudiness around Andrew Miller in those <laughs> early years. All right, so I have the thirteenth pick. Which who? What team is on the board here? It would be oh Seattle. Seattle. Well, ironically, I'm going to take the guy they took anyway, Corey Maggette. Yeah, it makes sense. I watched when I had the Clipper season tickets. Got to see him for a few years, and I got to say, like. There, the 05 year where I went to the 0405 were the first 05 was the first year I got tickets. The 0405 season, he was 22 a game that season. House, I, I remember you had those tickets. I came to a game with you, I flew out and we went, and I was like, Maggie's flying around everywhere. Yeah, the thing that was really great about him that I always liked, and I liked his game, and I don't 
really understand why he never had a moment on a good team. But he got to the line in a way that was like really, really unusual. Oh, four, eight and a half free throw attempts a game. Oh, five, the first year I got ticket where he scored 22 a game. 10 free throw attempts a game. I mean, that's like, he was a fucking two guard. This is like Harden level. Then the next year, eight free throw attempts a game. Year after that, 8.4. The OA Clippers, 9.7 free throw attempts a game, 22 points a game. He was really good that year, actually. And uh, something about him that I guess maybe wasn't that fun to play, but I always thought, the I was always surprised that a smart team didn't trade for him because he just would go by people, bounce off somebody and get fouled and make two free throws. He was a good free throw percent. He was basically... An, plus 80% free throw shooter too. Mm-hmm. So he ended up, Golden State ends up signing him. Uh, they overpaid. And he ends up two years Golden State, one year Milwaukee, one year Charlotte, one year Detroit, and that's it. But uh, he was a really good scorer. I mean, the fact that he was the 13th best guy in this draft is a pretty good pretty good indication of how good this draft was. Who do you have uh, for 14, Chris? Um, for 14, picking for Minnesota, picking for the T-Wolves. It gets tough. I guess I would go with Posey, honestly. Yeah. Smart. So, I mean, I like there's, it. I don't have a ton to like add about like James Posey's game. <laughs> uh, this is right. I mean, like I was, I'm kind of curious whether you guys thought there was anybody remaining in the field here who at the time it was like, wow, the upside on this guy is pretty huge, you know? Yeah. Let's we'll rip through some of the guys just on Posey. Like we saw him as the seventh best guy in a title team. Like he was definitely a three, an early version of those three and D guys. Yeah. That's it. New Orleans swooped in, overpaid him that summer, which sucked. And you know, he was really valuable. It hurt. And he probably had two more good years after that, but he was, a, a prototype. So guys left on the board right now for this last last spot for you, House. You could give John Bender a whirl, see if maybe second time's a charm. No, thank you. <laughs> we uh Jeff Foster, Kenny Thomas, Debbie and George. All of these Scott guys Padgett. are better than Frederick Weiss. <laughs> Little Scott Paget. You could go undrafted, take Raja Bell. Yeah, I probably would take Raja, honestly. I think that's the move. I, I, he he was um, an important player on that Phoenix Suns team, and and most importantly, a tr- a trusted player. Right, another guy, super high basketball IQ, um, excellent teammate, and you know I, that 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 Knicks team uh, coming off of that that title run, he he, I think he could have cracked the rotation. I mean, I think he he could have slid in there behind, um, you know, uh, God, why why am I blanking? The two guard, Allen Houston. Yeah, perfectly fine sub for Allen Houston. It was weird because, so he shows up on Philly right near the end of that one season. He only played five regular season games for them. He he, his college career is four years in college. Two in Boston University, took a year off. I have no idea why. Then ends up at Flinter. It says Flinternat on basketball reference. I don't even know what that is. Where is Plays that? What country? There. That's a that's a foreign league. Is it uh no. Serbia? I think that's like 
it's like a Carlos Arroyo of oh, Florida International University. That's also where <laughs> Carlos Arroyo is. So basically five years in college for him. And then I don't know what happens to him for two years and then shows up on this 016ers team. And as Chris Ryan can attest, ends up playing all 15 playoff games for them. He plays. He, he was like a 10th man for you. Didn't he have a couple moments on that team? Or he had a couple of moments for sure. Yeah. Then stayed and then bounces around, goes to Dallas. It's weird. He was on that 03 Dallas team that just was really loaded in retrospect. Two years on Utah and then hits the lottery, ends up on that Phoenix team. And Clipper fans know him as the guy. It really looked like the Clips are going to beat the Suns in round two. They're down, they're up three, 11 seconds left in game four. I think they have a chance to go up three, one in Phoenix with game five and seven in, in Clippers and Dunleavy puts in Daniel Ewing <laughs> who hadn't played the whole game and wasn't very good either. And has him guarding Raja Bell. They, in, they throw it to Raja in the corner and Daniel Ewing just doesn't get there. And he makes this wide open uncontested three sends it to OT Phoenix wins. And that's it. That's that's how Clipper fans remember Roger Bell. But he had a nice run there. And also Steve Nash uh, just loved playing with him. Now he's behind the scenes with basketball, too. And Raja oh, was a self-appointed Kobe stopper, too, right? Oh, yeah. He was. He was, he was a badass. And he was another guy that um, from 03 all the way through. I mean, he was a career 40.6% three-point shooter. So you figured he would have taken even more. Now, so apologies to Jumaine Jones. You didn't get drafted again. <laughs> apologies to the Birdman, Chris Anderson. Yeah. Undrafted both in real life and in this draft. Apologies to Jeff Foster, who's not going to help the Warriors in any way, shape, or form. Kenny Thomas and uh, the Alaskan assassin, Trajan Langdon. Nothing Wang Zhiji. Francisco Elson. Some, some international big man flair. Any last thoughts, Chris Ryan? No, this was a real like rotation guy draft for me. And, and, you know, like there's a few people in here who have, uh, you know, 30 for 30s in them, like Lamar and Chris Heron and really interesting Steve stories. Yeah. Um, Steve Francis. But uh, Elton, Bra Elton Brand murdering the Sixers twice. That could be a 30 for 30. <laughs> uh, Double yeah. homicide, the Elton Brand story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> House, any last thoughts? But it's a nice deep draft. I mean, you know, the 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 third best draft uh, of from 1990 onwards. You know, a lot of important guys in the league that helped their franchises along. I mean, good good draft. Much better than 97. All right, I'm glad we did this. Your next task now is for you guys to make a Fugazi playlist for. We'll America. do. <laughs> I really, I think We're we would all it. appreciate that. Chris Ryan, Joe House, thanks for being on. All right, that was it for the 1999 redraft. Don't forget to check out 96, 97, and 98 as well. We are moving probably to a two-week schedule. I think we're going to probably do till 2009, unless you guys really like this idea. Maybe we'll keep going after that. But uh, 2000 is coming up this weekend on the Bill Simmons podcast, and then we will simulcast it here. But uh, 2000 is the worst draft in the history of the NBA. And we will break down all the reasons why. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast.